this is absolutely for you. We're like, nope, I can't do that. Nope, that doesn't make sense. We start listening for the exceptions to the rule. I tell people, listen for the incorporation. Don't listen Mm. for the exception. Listen for how do I incorporate this based on my positions and roles. Hey, we are in another episode of the Living Out Loud discussion series. And today we are talking about how to unpack our responses to various interpersonal interactions. And we're going to do that with Alan Lipscomb. I'll introduce him in a moment. I am your host, Charmaine Nutz, a relational DEI expert. If you are new here, we are unpacking real life scenarios and issues that come up in our work with each other in professional settings or in spaces where we feel like we need to be buttoned up. The goal of every single episode is to reveal the layers and the nuances in those interactions so that we can learn about them as a community that cares about diversity, equity, and inclusion. As always, the thoughts, views, things that are shared in today's convo, those are my own and not as a representative of any of the agencies that I work for or am contracted by. Now, with me in this space is Alan Lipscomb. Thank you so, so much for being here. We're going to have a great combo today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Oh, yes, yes. What's funny is I don't know you that well. We only met one time. We have a mutual friend. And in talking about today's conversation, you were just sharing about your expertise. And there's lots of ways that came to be. And your approach to how you do things in any setting that you're in, I feel so valuable and important. I literally, when I think about this topic, which is a topic that many people struggle with, I'm already knowing I'm about to be learning some things. So I'll be here talking to you and then I'll probably be taking some notes. And I am so much looking forward to the fact that you'll be the one that's shining a light on things for the people in the audience. So thank you again. Would you mind sharing anything about yourself? Take space, introduce yourself. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm always excited and honored to be able to share space and and just share pearls of wisdom, things that are helpful in in doing this work in a more uh, intentional and critically conscious way. So I am an associate professor at Cal State Northridge in the social work department. I also serve as the director of the online MSW program, as well as the associate chair of the department. I'm also the director of our minority male mentoring program and our student success allies program. In addition to that, I am a practitioner. I'm a licensed clinical social worker. I have my doctorate in psychology. I went from doing direct micro practice, which I still provide uh, therapy in micro spaces, but I started to notice that there was a need to have these conversations around justice, equity, diversity, inclusion, and anti-racism beyond just on the micro level. But what does this look like in our interactions? What does this look like within organizations and agencies that I've been a part of or have worked with to assist them in their DEI or JEDI efforts, if you will? And so my research is informed by my practice. My my practice very much so informs the work that I do in in my research work. So I have three different buckets of research that I operate in and out of, if you will. So one is around looking at Black male grief and trauma. Um, What are the ways in which Black men grieve? And most importantly, what are the ways in which we can provide healing in clinical spaces and therapeutic spaces in a way that is affirming? in a way that is honoring-based, in a way that is anti-oppressive, anti-racist, and and doesn't further stigmatize and and relegate their experiences to the margins. So that's one Mm. of of my Mm. research tracks, if you will. The second one is around anti-oppressive practices with communities of color in general, and and what Mm. are some effective ways to provide services, again, that's not stigmatizing, that really honors people's experiences to help them along their mental health journey. But then finally, more relevant to our talk today is around justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion and anti-racism work within organizations. And again, like I mentioned a moment ago, I recognize that it wasn't enough to just do this on a more micro interaction. 
one-on-one. It was like, how do we do this? How do we retain people? How do we recruit people? Uh, how do we mentor folks, especially when we're looking at communities of color? Um, what are we doing right? And what aren't we doing right? And then what are we going to do about it? And so it all happens in the interactions, I say. And so having the research to support what I see in different spaces and what can be helpful to really bolster and uplift DEI efforts in organization is very important to me in the work. That mm. I do. Even when I was even referencing, like introducing you, I kept trying to like find a word and I still don't even have the word, but in your intro, I'm like, okay, there's, you are a practitioner that is research-based too, but you can't even tell in the way that you're describing things. You are very practitioner-based, practice-based. You're talking about the buckets and I flow in and out of them. You have a flow and know that there's buckets, but also the buckets have things in common and you don't enter a space and this hat is on and you only use one bucket. It just comes across in everything that you say. And I feel like it's so important to do that. I remember when we were speaking, I think I was telling you that I haven't come across a whole lot of people who have the various types of expertise and then are able to meld them together to do this type of work. Oftentimes it's people who are maybe heavily clinical and people who are heavily clinical aren't necessarily in the DEI space. And just so you know, in all of the episodes, while I say DEI, DEI is an umbrella term to capture many people's approaches, organizations' approaches, what approach you use, the terms you use, all those are valid. It doesn't negate that at all. And I just lost my train of thought. But my point was... Clinical. Folks who stay clinical. Oh, thank you. See, look. Okay, so you're clinical. There you go. You were listening. (laughs) Yes, they're not necessarily all up in the DEI space like that. And then there's this administrative piece, and then you have the research. Like, you have a heavy research component. And you use all of it in every space. I'm imagining, I'm not in those individual sessions with you, but I'm imagining all of that is with you in the individual spaces with people, all the way to org stuff. So I I just find that's so helpful to have the various types of expertise. It makes for a much more Mm well-rounded experience, Mm -hmm. especially in this topic, because people are complex people and then we live with our own histories and we're in systems it's too hard to separate so anywho i just i'm knowing i'm gonna learn a lot like i get so excited when i meet people who have just a lifelong journey and they they put it all together Mm. and are not afraid to put it all together i think what happens in this type of industry is people go down one track and fill their buckets in that one track I think it would be so helpful to start with what are we talking about when we say that people are having responses to interpersonal interactions? I even think that you might have used the term reactivities, something about that there. So what are we talking about when we say that? Absolutely. So I believe that folks who are wanting to do this work are doing it with the utmost best intentions, right? And I also think that if we are not learning and gaining tools on our interpersonal day-to-day interactions that we are having with people, then we're not going to really live this. We're not going to really walk this and breathe this day-to-day. You know, someone could be listening right now, or I could be doing a training or a lecture in a class, and folks get it. Theoretically, they get Mm -hmm. it. Philosophically, they get it. Of course, you're going to have those na- their na- those naysayers. I'm not talking to those group of folks. I'm talking to those folks who are wanting to address their own ways of contributing to environments that are not so inclusive and doesn't foster equity and diversity and inclusion and anti-racist. Like those folks, they, they get it. Mm-hmm. But what they don't get is those interpersonal day-to-day interactions where our biases show up. And how when we are being reactive, we are more likely to play out our biases. When we're not taking a moment to think through, recognizing what our own stuff is before we start engaging. And that engage can be having a conversation. Engaging could be sending a text message. 
Engaging could be sending an email or responding to an email. And so once we have these mechanisms that helps us with our interactions to really embrace DEI work, that's when we start to see a shift, not only on the more individual kind of micro level, but also on the meso and macro level. So how are we doing this as a collective within our program division organization? And how are we doing this in the community, right? And so that's what I mean by our interactions, interpersonal skills is important in order to do this intrapersonally within myself. Like what do I need to check and be aware of? And then interpersonally as I'm in engaging with other people. Mm-hmm. So many like clinical terms, even in that, I might at times, if something, if we need to explain something a little bit sure. more, that might be helpful. Uh, I do think it might be helpful to explain even that relationship between intra interpersonal. I'm honestly thinking about, do you know emotion focused therapy? Mm-hmm. Okay. I love that. Anywho, those two little circles. And then there's thing in the middle. I find that one, something you said that's so, so true is people get it. Like you can tell them this is important. This is how it works. Understand it. Got it. And then in the moment to do it, there's a lot of different responses, but it doesn't, the learning, the information, it's really hard to learn it and just do it. So there's that whole internal intra piece that's going on and having to sort that out. And then there's what's happening with other people and what's Mm -hmm. theirs. And then there's in the middle when they combine, So there's like that part that you have your own situation going on. And then depending on who you're interacting or the context or whatever, that actually could change what's happening in the middle. So that's important to know, too. So I don't know if there's anything to add to that just to help people understand those terms and what we're actually talking about. Would you have anything to add to that? Yeah. Just to reiterate and highlight, it is really starting with what's going on with you internally. Right. Where does your thoughts go? When, when things happen, when you experience things, right? What, what do I start to think about? Um, what story do I tell myself about myself? And better yet, what story do I tell myself about the other? Like what narratives do I create about that experience, right? Uh, what feelings do I have internally? Am I uncomfortable? Am I frustrated? Am I angry? Am I comfortable? Am I happy? Like, what is my internal experience? And that guides how I then interact with other people outside of myself. And so, like you said, that that in between those those circles, um, that's where the the real work happens. <laughs> that's where the real work happens in that in between. And so, my goal is to help people yes. in that in between to gain some tools to help them practice this. One of the things we do when we don't have the tools and we're not engaging in this work is we go to our defaults. Our defaults are the way in which we operate. It's our day-to-day. Where do I default when I'm angry? Where do I default when I'm comfortable? Where do I default when I'm confused and don't understand something? We all have defaults. Some of us, we, when we're uncomfortable, we use inappropriate humor or laughter because we're so uncomfortable. Some of us, when we're uncomfortable, we try to change the topic because it's extremely uncomfortable, right? Whatever that default is, this goes back to that intra, what's happening intrapersonally with me when I'm uncomfortable with things related to DEI. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I have a simple question, but I want to explain why I'm asking it. Go for it. Because I'm, I'm thinking, okay, why is this something that people want to develop? Like, why do I care? And the, I think it's a simple question. The reason I'm asking it is because this, again, is something that when we can talk about it, people understand, okay, this makes sense. Yes, I would want to look at myself, work on myself. Of course, I would want tools to interact with people. But I find that when the moments come, to have to do this in professional settings, any setting, there's almost like a like, well, why do I have to do this? Mm-hmm. Some of that's avoidance and fear and all of that. But I, th- I think it would be worth our while to spend a moment there to explain why it's really important and what it can look like when you inevitably get to this place and you struggle with why do I actually need to do this at work? Like what? Because it's so personal. And people associate like, this is actually deeper stuff. This is not a work thing that I need to be worried about. 
but it is. So it's almost this cycle of, I understand it's important. Let me go try it. Oh, this brings up things. This is my own personal work or it's too deep for it to be happening at work. So I really shouldn't be doing it. And it just repeats and repeats. So the question is grounded in that. Like, why do I really need to be developing this? And yes, it is personal and it is relevant. Yeah, this is such such a great question and an important question. I, I think there's there's many reasons why this is important. One of the, the ways in which I frame it for folks is I say, we live in a time where we can't separate who we are and our experiences from the work that we do. It comes into the work. And I think before, and I'm gonna use the pandemic as a marker, before okay. 2020, we were able to do it in a different way where you can come and do your work, keep it pushing, right? In, in 2020 post-pandemic, people are still recovering from all things related to the pandemic, from the racial reckoning and, and racialized trauma that has been happening historically, but it was thrust into the forefront during the pandemic that people had to pay attention to it. Yeah. And so this work becomes important because if we don't, then we miss each other. If we don't, then we continue to do business as usual and we see the same disparities and disproportionalities numbers that we've been seeing historically. If we don't, then we're not going to be able to get the funding to keep our organizations and, and um, agencies open to provide the services. If we don't, we're not going to be able to provide for those of us who are service providers or work for organizations that are service providers. We're going to miss the communities and clients and populations that we serve and continue to miss them. Um, if we don't, we're going to be left behind on the shifting that is happening in the 2020s um, and beyond. And so it's not about I need to do this work because I, I'm trying to do therapy or counseling with anyone. It's I need to do this work in order to do it in a way that is effective, in order to do it in a way that honors who people are in relation to the work that they're doing. We're not separating this from the work. It is part of the work. And if we don't do it, then we're choosing, I believe, we're choosing to continue to ignore what we're seeing as far as hiring practices, as far as retention practices, as far as promotion practices, caseloads and all the things, we're continuing to ignore the disparities that we're seeing. And the question becomes, who are we choosing to center and who are we choosing to decenter by the ways in which we are moving or not moving within the different spaces in professional spaces specifically that we operate mm. in? Mm -mm -mm. You know, with that centering, decentering thing, <clears throat> Okay, I got another question. It's formulating. I'm finding that there are a lot of people, leaders, various level position levels, but people who are supervising in any capacity, there's this understanding that they have a role to do their own work and a role to be supportive and whatever that looks like for staff. But I think that figuring out what that looks like is bringing up a common theme that I see where I hear a lot. I'm not a therapist. Like, I shouldn't be doing this stuff with my staff. It's too much. And it's one of those things where it feels so simple to me. It's like, I'm not saying be a therapist. It's not what we're saying. But also, there's a part of what you're describing, what we're talking about, that is very different than how people are used to leading, very different than the topics that we talk about, the things that we engage our staff in conversations around. So I I'm wondering what your thoughts are on the person or people who feel like, is this really my job to be doing this much work with staff? If you are in a position of leadership, it is absolutely your job to be doing this. It is your job to ensure that the way in which you are leading and collaborating and operating is promoting visibility, inclusion, equity, respect. This is how we retain people. This is how we continue to be innovative by making sure we are attracting diverse perspectives and experiences in relation to the profession and our roles. And so 
if we run this back like 10, 15 years ago, right? Just, just go back. <clears throat> there was a lot of talk around you show value to your staff by giving them bonuses, right? Mm -hmm. Giving them an extra day off or a half a day, which are all great things. And there are things that are very helpful for folks. Yeah. Let's take that same track. Why would you do that? To show value, to show respect, that you see them, that you appreciate the work that you're doing, that they're doing. Let's come back to 2023. The reason why you need to do this is because of the same reasons why you thought, let's do this. Let's have picnics to bring people together or whatever. Companies are doing like barbecues and things like that, right? The same thing. You're trying to improve morale. You're trying to in improve connections and relationship. If there is no relationship, there is not going to be work done. Mm -hmm. If you don't see who people are in relation to the work, and when I say see people, that means who are they intersectionally? Who are they as it relates to race, gender, sexual orientation, et cetera? Whenever they're, they're comfortable disclosing and sharing, and no, you're not asking them, tell me what it's like to be you or tell me all your identities. Right. What you are doing is recognizing that folks have a different lens and experience based on those intersectional identities and how they experience privilege or marginalization in relation to the work. So let me use myself for an example. I remember I was working at a community-based mental health agency. I was the only Black male therapist on staff, and we were providing clinical services in South LA. And my white clinical supervisor said to all of us in group supervision, there were about maybe nine of us in supervision, and she says, when you go out to the community, make sure you put your badges away. Don't, don't let people see that you have a badge. And I remember thinking to myself, I can't do that. I, I can't put my badge away. If I put my badge away and go into the community, then that, something's going to happen to me by like law enforcement. They're going to question me being here or, or people are going to assume things about me. Like I just remember just doing this really fast mental Rolodex. And I remember after I left that supervision, I didn't say anything, but I was like, I'd be damned if I put my, my badge away. Like, matter of fact, I'm going to tape it on my forehead, right? <laughs> he said, no, so, thanks. So, so, so here, here's the so what for folks. Yeah. My supervisor didn't recognize that based on who I was intersectionally, that I could have a different experience in the community versus wearing and not wearing my badge. That wasn't a part of the conversation. So had she said, here's something I've done. But I recognize I probably can do this because I'm a white woman who provides services, da 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 So people are already going to assume when I go into a predominantly black and brown community that I'm not from here and I'm going to get X, Y, and Z treatment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I'm wondering, mm -hmm. based mm -hmm. on other people's experiences, based on who you are as a therapist and your identities, mm -hmm. how might you navigate bop a bop a bop in the community in your badge and what do you all like make it a discussion right don't do therapy yeah. with me but recognize that because of who we are and we are different that i have a different work experience than you and that's the piece yeah. that i want to stress to folks is that we're not asking about people to tell me about their life experiences tell me about your identities no we're recognizing that people have different experiences in relation to the work and position that they hold based on who they are. And people respond to people differently based on those identities. And that's the piece that's the difference. And this is why it's important for people to have this lens and walk the walk. Yes, 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 yes. I'm going to, I actually want to ask you a question. When you started the response, I literally felt I just felt your response and it continued as an undertone as you were speaking. And I actually don't know you, so feel free to be like, no, I don't, I don't want to speak on anything that I ask about. But I was wondering what you were actually, was there anything you weren't speaking to? Because I felt like when you said, when I asked, is this leadership role or, or something like that? You said, absolutely. There was just something in there. And I was wondering, yeah. was what was there? You, you know, I, because I do this work, right? And because I train all over um, around DEI work, folks stop listening when you start to talk about identities 
happens. And what happens, it goes back to that default that I talked about earlier. People get uncomfortable. And if they've had experiences, they go straight to like HR and I don't want to be sued. That's not Mm -hmm. what I'm talking about. And so me emphasizing that this is absolutely for you is because for those who stopped listening, I wanted to get their attention again because Mm -hmm. it happens very quickly. We're like, nope, I can't do that. Nope, that doesn't make sense. We start listening for the exceptions to the rule. I tell people, listen for the incorporation. Don't listen Mm. for the exception. Listen for how do I incorporate this based on my positions and roles. And because it's easy for folks to to talk themselves out of it. Like, I can't do that because da 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 (laughs) Or or the the common one I get is, I I can't do that because I I work in accounts payable. Or I can't do that Uh. because I'm in IT. I can't do that because right, right, everybody has a, a thing and, and, and you don't have to do this only if you are interfacing with clients or better yet people. Because some people say, well, I, I, don't inter- I don't interface with people. I'm in a division of one. It's just me. <laughs> I said, but you send out emails. You, you take lunch breaks, don't you? You interact in other ways with people that you work with. And so this is for you too. And how people are responding to you. You have somebody to answer to too, right? So it doesn't just begin and end with you. It's it's all over and within that particular system and organization. So that was what you were hearing there, just me stressing and emphasizing for for those who are listening who are starting to do that dance with themselves to to ixnay themselves out of out of doing the work. Yes. Well thank you for sharing that. I appreciate that. Thank you for asking. Yes. And then you brought something up right now that I really think is helpful to talk about. And it's the maybe like certain tasks or departments or types of jobs that don't see themselves in this space. It's so common. So it's usually things like financial stuff, contracting types of things, like you said, IT. They do not see themselves in doing this type of work because it's almost like, well, we don't have to, just what you said, we're not really in that. We don't provide services. And that's not, that is not what we're talking about. You're talking about an organizational culture. Nice. Then then everybody's in the organizational culture and you contribute to that. And I get so many, I hear a lot of things. I'm sure you do too. But I hear lots of things from places that I either contract with or I work in, they come to me as DEI lady, you hear there's so much stuff. And there is a higher percentage of the people that are being impacted by those that are in these types of roles that don't see themselves in these types of roles. And part of why they have the experience is because they do not see themselves as having to do anything other than, well, I went to the training, this is my contribution. Thanks for showing up to the training. (laughs) I also need you to understand you're contributing to what people are saying is harmful, hurtful at work. There is a person that I know that manages IT related things. And he's really like trying to think about this differently and arriving at. So, okay. So are you saying that when we are asking people to change like a system or change something that they've been latching onto for years and years, that they have these responses. And instead of us being annoyed and telling them, get over it, just deal with it. Maybe part of our work is understanding that change is hard. Maybe we could support them through it, blah, blah, blah. Yes, that's what I'm, that's exactly what we're saying. You have your own responses. You get annoyed. You just want people to move on. So then you come off a certain way and then you could be I don't know what that looks like for people, but I'm hearing it's not going well. But the slowing down and helping people get, like you're in a role that you think doesn't apply in the space. But this was the first time that I felt like someone in this role broke it down to process and understand. So you're saying this? Oh, I get it. So we actually have a responsibility to, I'm like, yes, oh my gosh, yes. Anywho, I'm just... Using this example, I really want people to get that there's no off-limits position or department. Like, it's not off-limits. Everyone's there. You contribute. Absolutely. Uh. You know, um, 
I was thinking about as you were sharing when I was supervising um, a woman in, she was the case manager. And I would review her documentation through the electronic documentation system. And I would see that she was making these mistakes and errors. And I was like, oh, let me, let me, let me talk to her. So we would have these weekly kind of check-in meetings where I would give her feedback and say, here are some things that I'm noticing with your documentation. Here are some things you can do. And she's taking copious notes as I'm talking and all the things. We finished the meeting. She goes. The notes documentation looked great for maybe a week. And then the next week is back to what it was before. I meet with her again. So we do this cycle several times. Yeah. And it wasn't until I was like, hmm, something's happening here. Because I, I was starting to get frustrated. This goes back to that, recognize where you go and what's coming up for you, intra. Yeah. So I was like, I'm getting frustrated. I was like, but be patient. Be curious. Be curious. So she comes in and I say, do you have your notebook from where you take notes in our meeting? She said, yeah. I said, can you grab that? So she grabs the notebook. And I say, I want to talk to you about your documentation. Here's what I notice. I notice a thing. When you're here, you understand. It appears to me that you understand. You're taking notes. You get it. But when you leave and you go back to do your notes on your own, you go back to the way it was prior to. And so I'm wondering, what's that about? Just being curious. And she says to me, because when I'm here and I'm listening to you, it makes a lot of sense to me. I understand it. I'm writing it down. When I go back and do it, I don't understand it. I'm looking back at my notes. It doesn't make sense to me. Mm. Now, here's the piece for folks that started to, to check out. Like, okay, get to your point. <laughs> I said to her, would it be helpful for you if you recorded me giving you instructions on how to complete and do your documentation? She said, absolutely, because then I can listen back. I can listen to it and look at my notes and I can do it. We did that. That shifted her documentation. Now, just in those interactions, what I did was I shifted away from how I view things and how I've supervised everybody, right? Why do I have to be different and do things different? Like if, if I had that mentality, I would have missed her. What I realized is that she had a learning difference. She's, she, she's an auditory learner. And so that's who she is intersectionally speaking. That's based on her identities. She didn't feel comfortable bringing that to my attention because I was in a position of leadership. It wasn't until I opened it up and was curious yes. that I was able to meet her needs as my supervisee. And so that's, again, what I want folks to hear is you're doing this work so that we're ensuring equity, inclusion, recognizing that people are diverse and have different lived experiences. And if it wasn't for me taking a moment to think and consider what might this be like for her based on who she was, I would have missed her. And I would have written her up. I would have written her up several times. She would have been on her final warning and she probably would have been let go. So notice what I would have missed. Yeah. This is why this is important. I wasn't her therapist. I was her supervisor. And again, if I don't slow myself down enough to pick up on the different experiences, I'll create my own story and narrative about who she is, subordination, not listening, refusing to take da 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 da, -da doesn't want to get it, whatever that is. And then that impacts the work that she's doing because she can feel my energy too, right? Mm -hmm. So this is why, to your point, this is why this work is so important to do. Because when we don't do this and come in with this lens and practice this, then we miss people. That's so true. I honestly, that first line of defense, like yourself, like it, that changes so much. If you don't know what's happening here, it really does. Oh my gosh, it impacts everything else. You exactly. just broke it down. And I really appreciate that. It's the thing that people struggle with so much. It's really quick to go right past what yes. you are doing or what you are thinking, what you are feeling, the story that we're telling ourselves. So easy to go through that and just let me help somebody get their stuff together, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Even like um, your ability to be like, I'm annoyed. I'm really annoyed. But I'm annoyed. Let me who, just, who wants to continue to have the same conversation over and over again? Yes. And you know what? We can normalize that too. I don't think that what's 
I think what people think is that we're not supposed to have these responses. And that's not the suggestion. You actually can have, you're a human. You, you go wherever you go in your mind. Absolutely. Acknowledge but I, it. You know, and, and going back to what I was saying earlier that you were highlighting decentering and centering, I was decentering different ways of learning and I was centering one way of learning is what I would, just by default, just because of my own biases. Like you either get it because you're taking notes because that's how people learn. Yep. Or that that means you don't understand, you're incompetent, you can't do, I create a narrative, right? So I was decentering different ways of learning and I was centering one way of learning. Yes, yes. Okay, I'm gonna control my brain because, oh my gosh, <laughs> there's so many ways this happens. I won't do that. I think what could be helpful is, all right, for the people that have been listening or maybe they weren't but still care, they wanna know, so... I'm doing this stuff. Like, how do I know I'm on the right track? This happens when people do this type of work. It's not linear. It's not always yeah. structured. It's very like this. Yes. People struggle with that, especially in workplaces. We are not taught to operate in this go with the flow and no. learn. And that's just so not what people are used to. And people honestly want like, give me a tool that tells me I'm on the right track or how do I know? So could we help people understand like, it, what are the things they're looking for that indicate progress? Like what's something that they can hold on to? You know, you know that you're making progress when you start to see a shift in the relationships. When people that maybe you interact with or might be supervising or working with, when they are moving differently with you or responding differently to you, you'll notice when you feel a little bit lighter because the conversations or the interactions are not as heavy or they're not as cumbersome because you're actually walking it and doing it. Change comes from the consistency in how we show up. Trust mm -hmm. comes from the consistency in how we show up. So you're going to know that you're doing something right or that you're moving in the right direction because changes are starting to happen. Maybe, again, that's the more smaller interactions are shifting. Maybe that's how people are responding to you and coming to you might mm -hmm. be shifting. And so that's how you will know that you're on the right track and you're, you're making movements. I know when our relationship has shifted when folks start moving differently in front of me. They appear more comfortable. They bring things to my attention. They don't ignore me or leave me off of emails or whatever it may be. And so, right? And some of us, we, we know who we are, right? Some of us are like, well, that's just who I am. That's just the way I am. They need to get over it. Well, well no, that's great. You know that's who you are, yeah. but they don't need to then succumb to the way you are because it's not conducive to the environment it's not conducive yeah. to the culture it's not conducive to the work that you're trying to do as a collective and so it's information for people to move differently mhm mm mhm mm uh, um i'm also thinking about i was talking to somebody was it, it might have been yesterday and we were talking about the concept of the things that we celebrate at work and what do we really acknowledge? And she brought up a couple of things. One was the concept of accountability and the other one was getting things wrong or the messiness of things. So her point was we don't necessarily celebrate people holding themselves accountable to when they didn't get something right. Like it's usually like I'm accountable. I turned in something on time. Mm. Are, are the things that we look at yes. as stuff that we want to reinforce is it's not always the stuff that... Mm, is aligned with this type of journey that we're talking about. So I walked away with that's so true. Like I don't even necessarily frame it that way or celebrate those things. And I actually yesterday just try, I just wanted to try it out. I just wanted to acknowledge like a, I'm proud of a group. I'm proud. Like you just, you didn't do that well, well. Just what would it look like if we said, oh my gosh, that was an absolute train wreck and you did a great job dealing with that. I think that an indicator of progress and change is that there's not this felt sense of shame and fear around not getting it perfectly right all the time. Mm -hmm. There's a shared sense, yes. an internal and shared sense that, all right, I don't like not getting it right, but also this is okay. And how we respond to it is more important. And we acknowledge Absolutely. and celebrate when we get those misses 
right in how we deal with them. I think that's the best way I can describe it. I don't know how else to say that. Yeah, I mean, we're moving away from this ideal of perfectionist, that we mm-hmm. have to be perfect. And part of the beauty is imperfection and how we move through imperfection. That's how we grow. That's how we evolve. You know, culturally, that's how we grew up. It's like, do better. Okay, learn from that. Show up differently. Okay, what, what can you take from that? It wasn't meant to be. It wasn't meant to go that way for whatever reason. And you don't have to know why. So don't question, <laughs> right? So, so part of it is, is our upbringing and learning, uh, uh, moving away from this idea that this is the standard and you have to be this way, you have to look this way, you have to dress this way, and that deems you professional, right? Mm-hmm. Moving away from this ideology of whiteness, white, white supremacy ideology as the standard. You have to be perfect. You have to look this way. You have to dress this way. And if you're not, then you are subpar. And so as we are moving in this direction and being very intentional, what we are is disrupting the standard. Mm. We are disrupting what historically has been seen as the only way that will, this has been centered, right? Talking about decentered and centering. Yeah. This has been centered. We are decentering that as the only way that there are other ways of knowing being within a workspace. Yeah. Yeah. I would like to take that concept and tie it into like communal stuff. You've been talking about identities and I am thinking about the many experiences I have with people when it's like hard for people to grasp that there's many people in a space and it's not a competition of who gets more room and whose experience is the most, but it often feels like this really competitive experience Mm. or even like if something is talked about that, that somehow means that other stuff is not important. So when we were just talking about the knowing the self and your identities and then what are the other identities experiences in the space and knowing how to be curious about what the experiences are or lifting things up as this is how I would do it and someone else. What I'm thinking is how can people get to this place where they know that the goal is for us to, we can hold space for all of it. Like it doesn't have to be where you it's almost like you represent your own thing and you're in here to fight to make sure that you are heard or other people are heard there's room for all of it and that's intentional that's on purpose we need to understand what everyone's experiencing and even for the person who i feel like people feel well this is who i am so if you're asking me to change who i am that's not the ask the ask is not for people to change who they are the ask is to know self know what also is happening here and negotiate and co-create the relationship in various contexts because it's person to person it could be small teams it could be large groups it all changes and that's the thing to develop correct i feel like i'm saying several things i want to know what you think and help me make sense of that (laughs) yes (laughs) (laughs) i know i just i processed it out loud (laughs) no i i think you're absolutely right um, I was just reflecting on as you were sharing that um, about people saying, you're asking me to change myself. No, we're not asking you, to your point, to change yourself. We're asking you to, to be aware of self in order to honor others. Oh, I like that. Right? Be aware of self. Yes. In order to honor humanity. This is what we're saying. This is my so what, right? What's the so what? Yes. We're doing this work in order to honor, respect, and love diversity and humanity. We do it in nature. We love the different Mm -hmm. types of trees and plants and living organisms. We honor it. We honor the earth. We we, we do it with animals. Mm -hmm. We do it with with different dog breeds. We do it with different um, reptiles. Like We honor diversity in all other spaces of life. Why is it different when we're talking about human beings? Why is it different? Mm -hmm. So, It's important, this work, going back to what we were talking about earlier, because we want to honor, respect humanity. Mm -hmm. And when we see each other, we do great for each other. When Mm -hmm. we see each other, we can go further than just seeing ourselves. So really pushing this work beyond just the me and how do we. Mm, How do we? Okay. All right. I feel like it's a good time to make this extra practical and tangible for people if they've been on this journey. Yes. So what are things, what are very 
practical things that people could do from today and whatever amount of times or time frame they want to put on that. What are things we can help people do to implement some of what Absolutely. we're talking about? I'm going to leave you all with one thing. That oh, okay. Because, because I know from, from doing trainings and teachings that if you try to give people more than one, it gets overwhelming. It's going to be like, ugh, I'm, I don't give up, right? <laughs> so let me just give you one thing. <laughs> one of the things that I came up with that I think is very effective to do this work, it's, I call it the pause method. Pause. Mm. P-A-U-S-E. Pause. When things happen at work, you notice you're having a reaction. Pause. Okay? And pause is an acronym. It stands for something. The first thing you want to do, let's say, for example, I receive an email and the email has a certain tone. It has a level of disrespect and I'm having a reaction to that email. The first thing I want to do in pause is what the P stands for. That's ponder, ponder, mm. ponder on what your initial thoughts, feelings and reactions are. Mm. OK, mm. I'm feeling upset. I'm annoyed. And the thing with the P and ponder is you have to be honest with yourself. If you can't be honest with yourself, who can you be honest with? So be honest about that email or that conversation or what exchange happened in the meeting. That's what the P stands for, ponder, right? Yeah. The next thing you want to do and pause is what the A stands for. That's ask yourself, what do I need to do before responding so that I'm not reacting? Yes. Maybe I need to take a beat. Maybe I need to take a deep breath. Maybe I just need to acknowledge that I received the email and say nothing else because I don't know what to say. Or if I do say something, I'm going to lose my job today. Mm -hmm. so less is more. This, this goes back to that reactivity. Don't be reactive. You want to be yeah. responsive. The yeah. UN's pause stands for understand that you may need to talk to like an accountability partner yeah. or someone else outside of your immediate go-to folks, right? Your go-to folks, that's confirmation bias. They're going to see it the same way you see it. Yeah. But if I go to somebody outside of that, they can give me some feedback and say, you know what? Yeah, take a moment. Don't respond to that email. Take a breather, et cetera. The essence pause is one of my favorites. It stands for sensitive. Be sensitive to yourself and how much time you need so that you can be responsive and not reactive. So for me, because I practice pausing, I need at least 24 hours. I need a day. Before I respond to that email, before I have a follow-up conversation, I need at least a day. If someone's bringing something to my attention in person, I'm going to acknowledge that they said it. Thank you for giving me that feedback. Do you mind if I follow up with you? Mm. That's all I'm going to give. Why? Because I know myself, I'm, I'm still brewing and stewing. So I need some time to pause, right? So be sensitive to yourself. Here's how you know how much time you may need when it no longer feels like it just happened five seconds ago. Mm. When it doesn't feel fresh. If it still feels fresh, that's not enough time. Some people, they can take a 15 minute walk or a break and they can come back and respond to that email, have that follow up conversation. Some folks need to go to lunch. They need to eat because they're hangry, right? Some folks need to work a full work day and then they can come back and circle. Some yeah. folks need to work out. Some people need the next morning. Some people need a weekend, slide into the weekend and come back on Monday and respond. Whatever that is for you, be sensitive to yourself. Here's the key follow up though. If somebody's waiting for you, please respond. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then finally, the E is execute. Come up with a plan that you can execute that honors diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice that is anti-racist and anti-oppressive. Mm -hmm. Come up with a response that is not reactive, that's going to further marginalize, relegate, trivialize people's experiences or comments or whatever, or if nothing else, your own biases. Come up with a response that you can check your own stuff mm -hmm. before you press send or before you follow up and have that in-person conversation. So again, the P is for ponder, the A is for ask, the U is for understand, the S is for sensitive, and the E is for execute. Practice pausing. Okay, I love that. And I will temper my own desire to expand on those things. And I will honor that is the one thing that we will share with people. I do imagine that's something you probably train and you could spend a long time on each For thing sure. and helping people practice that. But I really like that. I do. That could change a lot. We have a lot of opportunities for people to reflect, 
and understand before going into action. So thank you for sharing that. Absolutely. Is there anything else you want to say on this topic before we wrap up? You know, one of the things I will say is this is your work to do, our individual work to do. Individual accountability equals collective accountability. We cannot be married to the outcome of what other people do. We have to focus on what we do. And if we are starting with ourselves, then it's going to ultimately shift because folks are going to start to be interested. They're going to notice there's a difference. And, and that can be the shift in the work. But start with self first. This goes back to intrapersonal. Start with yourself. And that's going to help you interact with people differently interpersonally. Mm. That just spoke to my whole soul. I feel like at work, I could do that a lot better than my personal life. So when you said that, I was like, receive it for yourself. Yes. And you need, why don't you pause, Charmaine, before you do it? <laughs> oh my gosh. All right. Well, thank you so much for this conversation. I, of course, I learned a lot. And I honestly think this could be so valuable for people who actually want to do different. Like there's so much in here. Mm -hmm. So thank you for sharing your wisdom. Absolutely. If people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way to do that? Yeah. So if you are interested in uh, what I do, feel free to follow me on IG. It's at dr.alipscomb, dr.alipscomb. You can email me at alan, A-L-L-E-N dot lipscomb at csun, C as in cat, S-U-N dot E-D-U. And I'll be glad to respond. Thank you so much. Perfect. 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 All right. If you were listening today and you're like, okay, I want to do something with this, please share the video and engage in conversations with people on your network. Of course, like, comment, subscribe. We really want to encourage conversation and learning from here. If you would like to get in touch with me, you can visit our website at livingunapologetically.com. There's access to social media handles. You can email us there. There's freebies as well. I want to call attention to our guided meditations because I feel like that's very relevant for today's conversation. There's a few on there that can really help people in moments when they are feeling shame or when they experience discrimination or preparing for hard conversations. Uh, you'll have access to my book, Why is Conscious Leadership? A Framework for Leading with Action and Accountability. And I think that's it. I hope to hear from you soon. Thanks for listening or watching. And until next time. Bye.